The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, James McDonald, and Nadine Terman. Tonight on Fast, a big bet on big tech. Microsoft falling 3.5% this week, but one of our traders says it is time to double down on this name, how they're playing this pullback. Plus, it's a small world, but a big reopening. Disneyland throwing open its gates for the first time in over a year. We'll, we'll break down what it means for Disney and the rest of the reopening trade. And later, we are upping the stakes why tomorrow's Kentucky Derby could be a big win for the sports betting stocks. We start off with the big shrug. The S&P 500 ending the week flat despite blowout earnings from some of the biggest companies in the market. The Dow and Nasdaq actually down on the week. So if record profits from the most valuable companies couldn't get investors excited... What will or is the best already baked into these markets? Tim. Look, it, it's disappointing. And, and certainly if you told me the numbers that, that Google and Facebook, especially on their ad growth and what that means also for the consumer and the economy, uh, then get to Apple, 5G supercycle alive and well. Uh, their service business is growing. And Amazon might have had the best numbers of, of everybody. And, and you actually week over week had triple Qs or the Nasdaq 100 down 51 basis points. Very concerning. You look at semiconductors. They haven't made highs since mid-February, so two and a half months. Uh, this is one of the longer periods of this rally where the leadership, which has come from the chip sector, has kind of deserted us. So um, in a market that's always looking for a catalyst, earnings typically uh, at times have been really important. And I, I do feel that at some point when companies tell us they're back to normalized earnings and the tech sector's kind of told you that um, and we pulled through some of the COVID benefits and, and we have tough comps, that's a time to be concerned. I'm not losing <laughs> uh, faith in this market, but mm -hmm. I, I do think this was a concerning week. Small caps were weaker. EM growth was weaker uh, and it was a tough call based upon great numbers. Some might posit, Steve Grasso, that a flat performance by the major averages is actually decent price action considering where we started this week off at, which was record highs. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's probably the way I would start to start to frame it. But Tim did a great job in laying out all the different uh, places within this market and what they've recently done. I, I, I've been a fan of saying that the market really sets up to hurt the most at any one given time. And what would hurt the most is that everyone thinks we're going to roll over. If we don't roll over and we trade to 4,500, I think that people are shocked and people wind up getting hurt um, to the upside. But for the most part, people are sort of uh, looking at the market and saying, let me just stay invested. Let me own tech. Let me own some of the IWM. Let me own some of the infrastructure plays and the industrials. We'll see how it plays out, but I can understand taking some chips off the table. 
Some might even say some of these pullbacks and some of the big cap tech stocks, Nadine, could be buying opportunities. I mean, the, the good thing is that you, you've seen what their hands are, right? You, you got the quarter readout. You got sure. forecasts as well. So you know what you're dealing with pretty much. <laughs> You're right, Mel. And what you saw today, too, is the market was down, but volumes were down. So there wasn't a lot of strength behind this decline today. And you're also looking at implied volatility premiums on the queues of 22%, on the SPY of 36%. So again, we're looking at, I think, a pretty attractive setup. So just you mentioned uh, on the opening, Microsoft, that was something, you know, we've been longtime holders of it. Um, I entered again today, just added to the position because it's a great company. They put up a great quarter. People right now on earnings, though, are paying for the surprise. So are they going to surprise on the upside with a forecast? But I think Microsoft did a great job of outlining a very reasonable, pretty conservative look that they can be. Yeah. James, um, how did this week's price action feed into your bearish view of the markets? You know, we've had an incredible bull market. I saw a headline the other day that this uh, first 100 days of the Biden administration since the inauguration is without peer. You have to go all the way back to FDR coming out of the bottom of the Great Recession. Uh, 88 years we haven't seen a rally like this. And so it's not surprising that the market would, as we're saying, shrugging off some of these great earnings numbers because they've been priced in. Uh, there's been so much expectation uh, of a rebound and a re-acceleration uh, of the economy. Most of that was priced in after the election and has continued to rally. Uh, we saw this last month, uh, nearly 18 days of consecutive rises in the S&P. Uh, this is probably the first time we haven't bought the dip uh, after the market closed today selling off. And so it's just been an unprecedented rally. And obviously it has to come to an end at some time. Uh, we're still not betting on the market collapse because the market is continuing to rally. Uh, but we've got to top out here at some point. Tim, how do you feel about the stocks that actually managed to do well off their better than expected earnings? And I'm thinking of Facebook as well as Alphabet, which actually finished the week with gains versus a Microsoft, which arguably had a very good quarter as well, but finished the week lower. Well, I, I think both Apple, excuse me, both Google and Facebook are, are valuations that are the most attractive of those mega cap tech stocks in, in a world where, uh, you know, other than Amazon, which has always been expensive and I think is actually cheapening as it's growing into better operating margins. And, and but, but look, Google's numbers uh, really tell you that this company is beginning to re-rate a bit more. Facebook's been very cheap, uh, maybe cheap for a reason. The, the strength in the ad growth, and again, their pricing, right? We saw that they're able to pass on 30% price increases. Google's, uh, you know, intrinsic value in YouTube finally coming out. And all this, by the way, uh, it was a really bad week for Netflix when you consider the Amazon video uh, prime numbers and what Google told you and the strength of YouTube. But that's maybe for another show. But um, those are the two that I think are the most defendable. Those are the two that had the big weeks. Uh, those the two that, yes, they reversed a bit off those highs, but still uh, the stocks legged higher. And I think those are the ones you stay with. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Nadine, I'm curious if you're if you think that maybe today's action was sort of a tell in that. I mean, were you surprised that tech stocks didn't do better, especially the ones that posted decent earnings like an Amazon, given um, the 10 year yield wasn't that strong, wasn't as strong, certainly as we saw yesterday, went down to 1.62. I thought we might have a little bit of a bid there. You know, um, in terms of rates, as you know, the last few shows I've been on, we've been uh, shorting things like the TLT, going shorting the treasuries. But I put out a note yesterday. We saw the XLF, so that's financials and XLE, which is energy, hitting the top ends of our daily trading ranges. And they are, call it a rhyming cousin of the treasuries. And so when you're seeing rates hit to a point where you need to trim some financials, trim some energies, 
then what we think about is covering those shorts on the, the treasuries. And again, there was a note put out today, just the high short interest on the treasuries. That's another thing that gives you pause and says, okay, this is somewhere maybe we don't want to overstay our welcome. Let's look for a better way, a different way to play this. All right. Well, we are closing the books on the busiest week of earnings season, but we are not done yet. Just check out all the names reporting next week. Pfizer, Uber, Lyft, Square, the list goes on and on, but don't get overwhelmed. We're cutting through the noise for you. Each of our traders has the one stock they're watching heading into next week. So, Tim, why don't you kick it off for us? What are you watching? Well, I'm watching GM on May 5th, and, and the news this week was Ford and a huge, huge write-down that they had based upon the chip shortage and the autos that they've parked and cannot uh, begin to finish, and then obviously the $2.5 billion hit. Look, I, I think in GM's case, it, it priced in some of Ford's pain. It has some of the exact same issues, let's be clear. Uh, heavily provisioned for this in their 4Q numbers. Uh, I'm, I'm also concerned about commodity input costs, and I think you've had the analyst community begin to mark down expectations, but, but, but GM even without these, these, the sexier parts of the business, is a you know, $6 uh, EPS in 21 and, and could be significantly higher. That's, I think, putting a haircut on some of the chip shortages. But remember, this is a company that when you buy it, you get EV, you get uh, fuel tech, you get battery, you, you, you get autonomous, um, and, and you're getting it for free. So we've made this point many times. Uh, and I think GM, despite some of the issues on semis, which, by the way, will peak, in 2Q. So are you really paying for that now? No, I think you've already paid for that in GM share price. I'm, I'm excited for GM. It's a profitable company. It's never been better run and it's exposed to all these sexy parts of the auto space and EV that have been driving other players. Ford is down five and a half percent. So right here, right now, James, I'm curious, would you rather Ford or GM? Ford knowing all the warts on the pig, so to speak, already since they reported. I like GM better of those two names. GM's got a broader technology set, uh, has a more loyal customer base. And I think GM also has partnerships uh, that can extend their brand and obviously uh, power that stock forward. Ford is also a great stock. I like both of those names. Obviously, these are two stalwarts of the American economy. And I think both of them are going to take advantage of the EV play. But between the two names, I would go with GM. Grass, are you going back to an oldie but a goodie for you? <laughs> yeah, there's the Avis budget. If you look at this chart... It's up 140% year to date. But what's even more impressive, Melissa, is June 2020, the stock was trading at $12.30. It closed in after hours trading, it's trading at $90. This stock, when you couldn't get on a plane, people were renting a car. Now you can get on a plane, people are still renting cars. It's going to be interesting to see whether this is the trade gone bad or the trade to fade right now. So you get sort of the recovery trade and the ongoing recovery trade. So I'm looking to see what kind of numbers they present and what their business model actually looks like right now. You had been in this name a long time ago, Grasso. So are you, are you in it now or you're just watching it in terms of it being a barometer of sorts? I've sold it, yeah. Uh -huh. I've sold it when, it when the stock tried to uh, rally like uh, it was going up an alpine mountain. I said, there's no way it can go higher, and it did. So I'm out of the name right now. It's been an impressive run for the stock. Kudos to those who stayed with it. Interested to see if it gives a little bit back or if it continues on its path higher. Yeah. James, which are you watching? I'm watching the video game sector through Activision Blizzard. They're going to report on Tuesday. And what I like about this stock is they've always outperformed analyst expectations. Uh, they're looking, uh, Zach's estimates are to come in at $1.75 uh, but they're projecting to do a $2 billion quarter. 
Uh, this is huge for them because the first three months of the year, according to video game analysts, have seen you know 18, 20, and 40 percent increases in demand. Uh, and Activision Blizzard is all on top of that space. They've got new games coming out. They've got a lot of paid-in content in their games, and it's trending extremely well. This is a company that will probably do well if we do get a market pullback, simply because they've got such a high profit margin on their services. And obviously, when we look at the adults playing games in these uh, sectors, um, this is a continuously growing market. And the first quarter overall in this sector was up significantly higher than last year. And so I think this company is going to outperform um, is a, not just a COVID stock, but a, a return to work stock as well. All right. And Nadine, you're going PayPal here. Going PayPal. It's been a COVID play. It's been a stimulus play. Now it's a reopening play. Uh, it's really an under-monetized asset, and if you look at it, um, they're going to be executing similar to the Asian fintech playbooks. They're going to look at user growth to expand, engagement to expand, cross-sell financial services, reduction of costs, so many reasons to own this stock. Uh, we're seeing about a 6 to 1 upside in our daily trading range. It has an implied volatility of about 31%. What I'd be looking for, though, next week is the update on crypto, update on how they're monetizing their assets. Um, any type of improvement in Venmo, and also for EM, because Ant has to take apart some of its financial businesses, are they benefiting from that or not? What's their playbook? So definitely looking for uh, them and Square. All right, coming up, the magic is back. Disneyland reopens for the first time since the pandemic. What's next for the Mouse House and Shares of Disney? We got the details next. Plus, the Kentucky Derby is tomorrow, and the sports betting stocks are under pressure. Why aren't investors betting on these names? We got the trade ahead, and as we head out, a message from Vayner Media CEO Gary Vaynerchuk as CNBC celebrates Financial Literacy Month. I think we need to completely revamp the education system. We have a macro system that forces many of them to go into debt for higher education, which is supposed to give them a diploma that's supposed to be an ROI positive execution. That has collapsed in this modern generation. We're completely delusional as a society of how to set up kids for success financially. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to dust off the Mickey ears. The reopening trade is in full swing today as Disneyland opens its gates to the public for the first time in over a year. Julia Borson is there for us live. Hey, Julia. Well, after being closed for 412 days, Disneyland is back open. It's open at 25% capacity and only for California residents at this time. And fans waited in line for hours for a reservation online. And then they spent $154 for a ticket. And the Disneyland park is sold out through May. Now, during the park's closure, the company fixed up some rides, made adjustments to address COVID restrictions, such as shortening the Star Wars rides, the resistance ride from 18 to 15 minutes. They also revamped rides such as Snow White. 
Avengers Campus, which is just across the way in Disney California Adventure, um, we pushed through, and that'll be opening on, on June 4th. So kind of we, we made sure all the legacy things that are so special to our guests were ready to go, and they're going to have some brand new things to think about as, as well. But the park looks phenomenal. Now, some attractions such as the monorail are still closed, and there are no parades and no fireworks just yet. But Amos Barton Crockett projects that Disney's Parks Division's revenue will be back at pre-pandemic levels by Disney's fiscal 2022 year. And Melissa, I have to point out, Disney shares are up about 135% from the stock's low back on March 18th of last year. Julia, thank you. Julia Borson in Disneyland for us, where apparently it's it's raucous there. I mean, people are there, they're making noise, and they're having fun. Um, I don't know if you caught that. They shortened the Star Wars ride down to 15 minutes from 18. They never heard of a ride so long. I mean, I think they should shorten it even more. Um, but, Tim, <laughs> even with all that, so now the parks are reopened for Disney, right? Not at full capacity, but yeah. they're opened. Um, do you think that they will yeah, reach well, pre-pandemic levels? Uh, in fiscal 2022? Well, I think we're going to price it in. I think we're going to price past it. Yeah. Boy, it sounds like they're having a great time. If I didn't know better, guys there on Mr. Toad's wild ride the Hall um, of stirring things up yeah. for the whole presence, <laughs> hey, which we go through show. every time we talk about Disney. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Um, but but I think the story with Disney is also that the fact that they've reasserted themselves. And, I, you know, I, I never uh, lost it for me. But Disney is king of content. They're going to spend 14 to 16 billion in the next two years. Eight to 10 of that's going to go towards DTC. Uh, and, and I think uh, we've seen again, I, it sounds like pick on Netflix show, but it was a tough week for Netflix when you consider what we saw with streaming uh, and the reinforcement from Disney. So, um, look, Disney as a stock, uh, not terribly cheap, struggling to get over that two 200 level, in fact, has been uh, really, you know, on a downward trend, needs to hold this 100 day. Uh, but I do think that the story here is they will overshoot to the upside in terms of sentiment and in terms of how people will play the reopening. Can you imagine if the Star Wars ride were still 18 minutes, basically be the whole time of the show so far on one ride? I mean, I, I, it's just mind boggling to me. Steve Grasso, what do you think about this notion of overshooting to the upside on, on these reopening trades in general? Yeah, I like it. I originally thought, uh, you know, 200 was that magnet to the upside. It's it's bounced off of that. And as Tim uh, hit the level, the $100 100-day moving average is 182 and change. It's found support around that level. I think it does make another run to 200. You got to remember, parks are 16.5 billion normalized revenue. And then if you look at Europe, that's another 8 billion. Asia, that's over 6 billion. So even though we're reopening here, Melissa, there's a whole world out there that will continue to reopen. So I think Disney makes another push back to that 200. And once it hits that, it probably goes over with some tremendous force. All right, James, listen up. I'm going to give you three ways to play the reopening. And I want want you to tell me what you think is the best of those three. Obviously, there could be better. Disney, healthcare, like a big farm stock, like a Merck, which got clobbered off of earnings, um, or an alphabet, which is very, very exposed to travel search. What do you think? I love alphabet in that group, and I'll tell you why. With Disney, uh, if you look at this 10-year chart or five-year chart, we had an explosion to the upside because of the effusive excitement of Disney Plus and what streaming could mean to it. Uh, this stock is going to be under pressure. I don't think it's going to get over 200. As far as the big pharma space, I'm looking at Pfizer's numbers next year. Again, very priced in. We saw a ton of run into that sector uh, based on the hopes of uh, the miraculous 
uh, creation of these vaccines around the world. Uh, that's priced in. As far as Google, obviously, this is a monster in the space. Google is blowing out its earnings. Google can hold back a lot of its upside potential based on its innovations, its acquisitions, and its intellectual property. Um, and this is a business that's very, very defensible in any economy. And so from that group, I like the reopening trade for Google. I like Google for a declining market. I like Google uh, in any space. And obviously, Alphabet has uh, borne that out in terms of their earnings and their price action this week. All right. From Disney to the Derby. You're looking live at Churchill Downs Racetrack in Louisville, where just 24 hours from now, the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby will take place. Well, the greatest two minutes in sports and the betting stocks racing higher. We've got the trades and the favorites next. Much more Fast Money right after this quick break. Welcome back to Fast Money. You're looking live at Churchill Downs Racetrack in Louisville. Get ready to grab your oversized hat, pour yourself a mint julep, and bet on the ponies because it is Kentucky Derby weekend. Sports betting stocks front and center as we gear for tomorrow's race, but they got saddled today. Red hours across the board for the group. So are these stocks a long shot or a sure bet? Steve, where do you, where do you stand on this? So when you look at online, if you look at the chart on online gaming, they've definitely hit a, a, you know, a headwind. You had uh, high, high growth or I should say high valuation, high growth headwinds with the 10-year ticking up based on discounted cash flow. And then you start to get to this reopening trade where the actual casinos are starting to do better, where people are, are going to travel yet again. So they have multiple headwinds, Melissa. I think they have to come down to earth. Valuations have to get in line, and these companies have to actually start making money instead of the mm. thought of making money. Tim, I think you're long mint juleps. You're also long DraftKings, and I think you might be long casinos. <laughs> I, 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 I'm long DraftKings. I bet you're long a very, very fancy hat for the Derby. By the way, Mel, you got to come clean here. I mean, what, what are you, what are you working? You got I'm not something a hat ready? Person. I'm not a hat person. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so let, let's talk. Let's talk about DraftKings. If you're if you're playing in the online sports betting space, DraftKings is is certainly in the public markets. Uh, you don't have a ton of options. It's all about playing the addressable market growth. So online sports betting somewhere around twenty six to thirty billion in the U.S. Then you add in iGaming another forty five to fifty billion, and then you begin to put some multiple of sales on it. And that's really the way you play DraftKings with the valuation. Nadine, your two cents on this. You know, I would look for maybe less discovered, less owned assets, something like Evolution Gaming, which is a Swedish company. They do online gambling, so it's not the sports besting, betting, but they have innovation, operational excellence, uh, profit margins of 68%, and they had a monster quarter. We've been owners for quite a while. All right. Be sure to catch all the Kentucky Derby action on NBC. Coverage starts tomorrow, 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, it is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. I think Brooklyn Strong uh, tomorrow, but I think DraftKings for the long haul is a way to play this space. It's not cheap. I like it. James McDonald. YouTube is finding its footing around the world. It's becoming more popular. Google's going to own its search, and it's going to continue to make and mint money. Alphabet. Nadine Terman. PayPal. If you're looking at what central banks digitizing their currency is going to do, you want to own PayPal. Steve Grasso. Paysafe, this is a name that is exposed to Twitch, to Fortnite, and yes, Tim's DraftKings uh, as well. This is a name that's exposed to crypto. So this is the way to play online gaming, grossly undervalued, P-S-F-E, grossly undervalued. All right, that does it for us here on Fast. Have a great weekend. 
What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialised across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.